Amen, amen. You may have a seat. You may have a seat. Welcome, everyone, to the Vineyard. My name is Christian Ritter. I'm the associate pastor here at the Vineyard. It's good to be with you all today. And over the last few weeks, we've been walking through a, a leadership series that we've called Lead Where You Are. And if you were here last week, you might remember that I started a, a two-part message on, on what it means to, be, to become mature leaders, to be mature leaders. And you know, for the sake of time, I think I'm just going to skip my intro altogether, and we're just going to jump in. So, so let's jump in together. Before we do that, though, let's pray. So if you, if you would pray with me, church. God, we thank you for what we, what we saw here just a minute ago, God, during worship. We thank you for those who are being touched by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the healing that you are bringing. Thank you, God, for the ways in which you are bringing comfort and joy and peace to those who, who needed it. Thank you that you're a God who, who shows up in our lives, that we're not entitled to it, God. We haven't earned it, and yet, in your profound grace, you often meet us as we call out to you. Thank you, Jesus, for being here, and, and I ask now, Holy Spirit, would you put power on my words? Would you fill me afresh? Help me to, to preach in a way that, that honors you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3 today, guys. We've been walking through the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to start 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. This is what we read. This is Paul speaking to his young mentee, Timothy. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then let's, let's hop down to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6-8. through 8. This is what we read. For I am already, Paul says, being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who long for his appearing. Amen. These two short passages, Paul lays out for us two more practices of a mature leader. And so let's jump in. To begin, Paul makes it clear here, guys, that mature leaders, they prioritize the Bible. They prioritize the Bible. I want to spend a good deal of time on this point, And I want to offer to you this morning three reasons why reading the Bible is so significant. So why, why is the Bible important for us? No, number one, if you're filling in in your outline, it's because the Bible is a map. That's my first point. The Bible is a map. It's a map that leads us to our salvation. Let's read verse 15 again. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Scriptures, we're told, they make us wise for salvation. In other words, the, the Bible is a map which shows us how we might be saved. For, for what is the central message of the Bible? What, what does the Bible teach? Well, the Bible tells us that all of us were created by God to enjoy fellowship, to enjoy intimacy with Him. And yet, in our rebellion, in our sin, we have, we have turned from the Lord and we have pursued our own desires. We've run after 
our, our, our own plans. And so the Bible says that, that as we've pursued our own desires, we've sinned, we've rebelled against the Lord, and we deserve, therefore, punishment. We deserve the wrath of God because the Bible teaches that, that God is not only fully love, he, yes, he is fully love, but he is also fully just, that justice reverberates throughout Throughout the person of, of God, throughout his very character. He is just, and so he can't just simply look away and, and excuse away our sin. He, he can't just simply you know, thrust it under a rug. It has to be dealt with. And so in his great and wonderful and beautiful mercy, God, God sent his son, both fully man and fully God, into the earth. And Jesus came to this earth and he lived the life that you and I should have lived but couldn't. And Jesus went to the cross in our place. He substituted himself in our stead, in our place. And on that cross, Jesus received the full punishment and wrath of God. The punishment and the wrath that we should have received, it was all placed on Jesus, that it might be dealt with, that it might be paid in full. And furthermore, Scripture teaches that not only was our sin, was our shame placed on Jesus, but that in this wonderful exchange, when we become followers of Jesus, that, that His perfect righteousness, His perfect standing before the Father is now given to us. So that when we stand before the Father, we stand as those who, who are clean and perfect in His sight. It's the message of the Bible. that It is not your good works. It is not your little merit badges that earn your acceptance and earn the favor of God, that earn your salvation. It is the blood of Jesus which, which paid and bought you your forgiveness, which bought you your freedom. It's a gift to be received. Romans chapter 3 puts it like this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. You know, I once heard a, a pastor tell a, a story about a young, a young boy who made a sailboat. He made a sailboat and was pretty proud of himself. He was a, a little boy and so he decided to go to a local park and and put the boat in a pond and see if the thing would float. Well, not only did the little boat float, but, but it, it picked up a big gust of wind and it, it shot across this little pond. And on the other side of the, the pond, there was, there was a group of older boys. And when the boat came near them, they scooped it up out of the water and they began to, to walk away. They took it for themselves. Now this young boy, he, he approached these older boys and asked for it, pleaded for the boat back, but... It was obvious to this little boy that they weren't giving it back. So a few weeks later, this, this little boy's walking past a pawn shop, and he looks in the window, and he sees the boat that he had made. So he goes in to, to talk to the pawn shop owner, and he explains his story. And the, the pawn shop owner, he has his mercy, takes pity on this little boy. And so the pawn shop owner says, look, I'll, I'll give it to you at price. You can just pay me what I paid for it, and you can have it. So the little boy he went home, he got out his, his little piggy bank, and he came back to the pawn shop, and he bought the boat back. And as this little boy was, was leaving the pawn shop, he looked down at this boat that he had created, and he said to his boat, you are now doubly mine. You're mine because I, I made you, and you're mine because I, 
I bought you back. And friends, this is one of the, the central, one of the main messages of the Bible. It's strewn throughout the pages of this book. That, that when you become a follower of Jesus, you can say to the Lord, I am now doubly yours. I'm now doubly yours. Because you made me, you created me, and you have bought me back at a price. The price was the cost of your very own son's life who laid down his life for me on the cross that my debt would be paid. I am doubly his. It's the message of the Bible. And listen, if we want to be people who lead with maturity, we want to be people who lead not out of obligation, not out of a sense of duty, not because we want to impress others, but because we're full of joy and full of love for the Lord and, and full of a desire to please him, then we need to be people who just continually come back over and over and over again to this wonderful message we find in the scriptures. That Jesus has died in your place and that you are saved and accepted before a father, not because of your own works, not because of your own merit, but simply through through the work of Jesus on your behalf. The Bible is a map which shows us how to be saved. And secondly, the Bible is a mirror. Let's read verses 16 and 17 again. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This verse, it begins with a tremendous statement. I don't know if you, you caught it. All Scripture, we're told, is God-breathed. In, in the Greek, it, it literally says all Scripture is God-exhaled. It's God-exhaled. That, that Scripture comes from the very mouth of the Lord. Yes, he used men who were humans and, and inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to write out the Scriptures that we have, but it comes from the very mouth of God. And because Scripture comes from the very mouth of God, it is useful, we're told, for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. And the Bible, of course, is not just meant to teach and train and rebuke others. It's meant to be applied to ourselves. The Bible, when, when read with humility, it acts as a mirror. It, it reflects back to us our sin and our shortcomings and our weaknesses. I mean, have you ever had this experience when you're reading the text and suddenly it's like, like the verse, it, it just jumps out at you from the page. It's like God is speaking into something specific in your life in that moment. It's because these, these words that we find on the page, they're alive and acted. They're infused by, by the Holy Spirit. A, a few years back, I, I went to Haiti for 10 days uh, to help out with some some of the disaster relief uh, following the, the terrible earthquake that hit Haiti several years ago now. And I, I spent 10 days there, and after arriving in, in Port-au-Prince, where I, I was going to be staying, I realized that I had no access to a mirror. There's just no mirror anywhere around. No real windows or glass. And, and to, to be honest, it, it, was, it was an adjustment, because even if you're someone who doesn't spend hours in front of a mirror every day, we, we just take for granted the fact that we are constantly looking at a mirror. You know, you're washing your hands in the bathroom, and without thinking about it, you're looking up. You know, do you have anything in your nose? Broccoli in your teeth? You know, how's your hair looking after that wind? Do you have any flyaways? I mean, that's just something you do without even thinking about it. And, and so it was, it was 
to be honest, an, an adjustment for me. But it wasn't that big of a deal, of course, because, you know, for 10 days I was just doing manual labor. I was, I was pouring concrete and carrying rebar around in the hot sun, and so it's probably good I didn't have access to a mirror anyway. But I mean, imagine if that was your life. Imagine if you never had access to a mirror, never had access to glass through which you could see your reflection. You would never really know how or what you really looked like, would you? You wouldn't be able to catch those spots in the mirror that, on your face that you missed while you were shaving. You, know, you wouldn't be able to tell that, that you've got some, some coffee stains in the corners of your mouth because of that black coffee that you were drinking earlier. And friends, if you were to ask me, why do Christians so often fail to look like Jesus? Well, why, why is this so often the case? My, my number one answer might just be this. Many Christians, guys, are walking around without mirrors. They're walking around without, without mirrors. They're not regularly coming to the Word and allowing the Holy Spirit through the text to speak to them about their anger, about their pride, about their judgmentalism, about their slander of others, about their lack of courage, about the lies that they have been believing. So we're left with this global church in which so many Christians are, are walking around without mirrors. They're just blind to their shortcomings. They're blind to their weaknesses and sin. And when we have no mirror in our lives, of course, we end up sadly with a distorted view of ourselves. And we allow other people or, or the cultural beliefs of our day to reassure us that we look fine, that we look great, when in reality, that there's things in our life that that aren't being dealt with. You know, you can always find people who will validate whatever decisions you're making, right? You, you can always find people, and they're, they're usually the people who are making those same decisions. Not always. But you can always find people who are going to validate your decisions. And, and our culture provides ample opportunities for you to hear from others that, that what you're doing isn't wrong. But friends, if you want to be a mature leader, you need to allow the Bible to mirror back to you where you're really at. To allow the Bible to teach you and rebuke you and train you in righteousness that by God's grace you might turn from your sin and grow. Leaders, we, we need the Bible because the Bible is a mirror which shows us where we're really at. And then thirdly, we need the Bible because the Bible is a weapon. The Bible is a weapon. Let's read verses 16 and 17 again. All Scripture, we're told, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Verse 17 tells us that the Bible equips us for every good work. Without the Bible, we're, we're simply not equipped to do our jobs. Without the Bible, in other words, we're, we're headed off to war without a weapon. You know, whenever I've seen those, those Civil War reenactments on TV or in the movies, I'm always drawn to, to the guy playing the drums. You know, have you ever seen these reenactments? There's, there's a group of, of men, and they've all got their gun in front of them, their weapon, and then there's the guy, you know, playing the drums. And I'm always thinking in my head, how do you get that gig? Like, who, who, who drew the, 
the short straw to get that job, right? All of you are marching into battle and you're just playing the drums. Like, if I'm that guy, I'm like, give me a weapon. Like, what, what is his hope? That, that the enemy's going to come close enough he can just kind of like throw his drumstick at somebody? It doesn't make sense to me. What, what, is, what is that guy doing? And, and so, in fact, I, I was kind of so dumbfounded by by this, that this past week, I, I did a little bit of research about, about these drumming men, and, and it turns out that these drumming men were often drumming boys. They were often under the age of 18, because back in, in the times of the Civil War, you had to be 18 to fight, but, you know, background checks weren't as great back then, and so you were able often to lie, and, and at 13, 14, 15, you could enlist, and, and you were often placed as the, the drummer boy. And what I also learned, which is, which is tragic, was that many of these, these drumming men or drumming boys would die in, in battle. They, they would attempt as best they could once the battle started to kind of pull back and, and pull to the back of the line. But often they were caught in the middle of the fire and they were killed. Because as it turns out, guys, when you're in the middle of a war, you can be taken out even if you don't have a weapon at your disposal, right? Listen. Whether we acknowledge it or not, the Bible is clear that all of us were born in the middle of a war, in the middle of a battle between, between the Lord and his army and between Satan and the powers of darkness. And so we need the Bible to equip us for the fight. This is why we're, Paul refers to the Bible in Ephesians chapter 6 as the sword of the Spirit. He, he could have could have used any analogy, any metaphor that he wanted, but he said, no, this is the sword of the Spirit. It's a sword of the Spirit that allows us to fight back against the lies of the enemy and against the lies of this world. We fight against hopelessness, guys, by, by dwelling on, on verses such as Romans 5, 5, which says this, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. We fight against shame by dwelling on verses such as 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We fight against our fear by, by turning to places such as John chapter 14, where Jesus says to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We fight against our own pride by dwelling on verses such as Philippians 2, verse 3, which says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, view others above yourselves. Friend, are, are you fighting? Are you fighting? Are, are you picking up this book? Are you picking up the Bible? And are, are, you, are you using the Bible to help you fight? Using the Bible to help you fight the, the lies that you've been led to believe. Using the Bible to help you fight against the voice of the accuser, against your own desires for sin. Are you fighting? Lifeway Resources conducted a, a poll in 2017, and through the poll they determined that 87% of American households own a Bible. This isn't just Christians. This is 87% across the board have at least one Bible in their home. And they, they continue to ask questions. And they found out through this poll that, that only 11% of Americans had read the Bible all the way through. And what's more, that only 9% 
had read the Bible and, and kept going, had read the Bible more than once. That there were some folks who just read it once and thought, okay, I'm good. Like, on to the next. And, and that 9% of, of Americans who had said that they regularly read their Bible, that's slightly lower than the 75% of Americans who identified as Christians in 2015. And is it any wonder then that that Christianity is struggling in the West when so many Christians, guys, are just headed off to war without a weapon? Just headed off to war with their little drum, hoping that that is going to do something. They're not using the Bible as a weapon to fight against their shame, to fight against their sin. We need the Bible, guys, as leaders, because the Bible is a weapon which equips us to fight the vital well. Now, now, for some of you here, there might be a real desire within your heart to read the Bible, but if you're honest, you, you, you just don't know where to start. You might say, no, I, I, Christian, listen, I, I get what you're saying, but I, I've tried to read the Bible in the past, and it just hasn't worked. So quickly here, let me just give you a, a, a few tips on, on how, you can, how you can start as you try to read the Bible. Number one, I would encourage you to find a study Bible. Find a study Bible. I've talked about this before. There are times when you're reading a passage and inevitably you're you're going to stumble upon something you just don't understand. A verse, a passage, you just don't get it. And so you can go to Amazon and and you can buy an ESV study Bible. You can buy an NIV study Bible. I always have a study Bible present when I'm reading the Bible because there's inevitably going to be something I just don't understand. You can go... Right, up the, right down the street to Lifeway, to the bookstore at Georgesville, and you can buy an NIV and ESV study Bible. You can get them for cheap online. I have an app on my phone that has the entire study Bible, and it's really helpful. Secondly, I, I would encourage you to try to read the Bible at the same time every day. At the same time every day. It doesn't matter what time it is, but, but you know this one if you've tried to read the Bible before. If you're just trying to fit the Bible into your daily activities, into your ever-growing schedule. It's just not going to work. You're just trying to squeeze it in somewhere. You're inevitably going to get to 10 o'clock and then wonder where the day went. So pick a time and set aside that time in your mind. This is my time to read the Bible. For me, it's when I first wake up because I know that that is going to be one time throughout the day where where I'm not going to be interrupted. For my wife, she's not a morning person. That's That's for her at noon. That's when my son goes down for his nap. So right now, it's 12.05. My wife is is reading her Bible. This is her time during the day. doesn't matter when. doesn't matter if it's right before bed, right after you wake up, on your lunch break. Figure out a time and prioritize it. You don't prioritize it. I mean, it's probably not going to happen, right? And, And then thirdly, push through the dryness. Push through the dryness. You know, this is church. I understand that. But you can admit here that sometimes reading the Bible can be dry. It's dry because you're tired. It's dry because you're distracted about something else. Or maybe, maybe you just don't quite understand the passage. And, and that's okay. Push through it. You know, if, if I can be honest, I've had some dry dates with my wife. It just happens. I've had some dry dates with my wife where she's tired or I'm tired, she's irritated about something that happened earlier in the day, I'm irritated about something, maybe we couldn't find a sitter, and so, so my son is, is with us, and he's in a high chair just acting a fool, and we can't even have a conversation, the food's cold, whatever, and I just, we've had dates where I've just kind of looked up at my wife and said, 
just want me to grab the check? You just want to head home? And that's happened. If you've been married for longer than six weeks, you know that that's just a part of... Don't, I don't need a show of hands. But that's just a part of being married. There are some duds where you're like, uh, let's just go home. But you know, if, if, if after experiencing a, a dry date or a dud of a date, we, we no longer went out together, we would miss out on so many opportunities to connect with each other and laugh with each other and grow closer to one another. Dryness is going to happen, but push through it. You know, reading the Bible is a lot like wading into the ocean. There, there's two ways to, to enter into the ocean, right? There's the first way, which is what I call the, the tippy-toe way, right? Which is when, when the water's kind of cold, maybe it's not quite summer yet, and so you dip your toe in the water and you're like, okay, that's cold. And then two minutes later, you work up a little bit of nerve again and you go, okay, that's cold. And that's one way to enter the water, pretty painful. The other way to enter the water is just to kind of run full speed ahead, jump in, dive in, and you're going to have about 10 seconds of cold. But then you're going to quickly realize that actually the water feels really good. Once you get your head under, once you swim around for a bit, you're like, oh, this feels better than being out of the water. Some of you guys, you've been attempting to read the Bible through the tippy-toe method. It's like, I'm going to read the Bible for a day. It wasn't great. I'm going to read the Bible for three days. It wasn't really great. It wasn't really what I was expecting. You know, revival wasn't set off in my bedroom. And so you you just kind of start this dance of like, I'm reading for a little bit, I'm not. And I would encourage you, you want to really really enjoy the the text, you got to just commit. I am going to be someone who reads my Bible. I'm just jumping in. I'm committing to you, Lord, on good days, on hard days, when I'm tired, when I have a lot of time, when I don't have a lot of time. I'm just going to read this book. And you're going to find that when you're willing to dive in, that the Bible is so much more life-giving, so much more joy-producing, so much more enjoyable than you realize. But, but you, have to, you have to commit. You have to commit. Mark Batterson is, is a pastor in, in the D.C. area, and he, he has a quote that I, I use often. So if you haven't heard this from me yet, you most assuredly will in the coming sermons. But he said, if you want God to do something new in your life, you can't keep doing the same thing. And I, I love that quote. You want God to do something new in your life, you can't keep doing the same thing. Some of you right now, your, your relationship with the Lord is just not where you want it to be. And so my advice to you, my encouragement to you, and I say this with all pastoral affection and love, you want God to do something new in your life? Can't keep doing the same thing. And maybe this Sunday, right now, is God's invitation to you to begin really taking his word seriously and committing to reading it regularly. And listen, I want to be really clear here. I'm not beating this message over your head because I, I believe that the Bible saves you. I'm not beating this message over the head because I believe that, that if you read the Bible, then you are a good Christian with lots of merit badges and you have a special place in God's heart. That is, that is unequivocally not true. The, the Bible teaches that, that we, are, we are acceptable in God's sight purely by the blood of Jesus. And that in his great and merciful love, he has pursued us when we were still sinners, when we wanted nothing to do with him. We are never called to earn God's love, to earn his favor. This is not about impressing God or impressing me or impressing your mom and dad. But the Bible is clear. 
reveals to us over and over again how we must be saved. It is a mirror which, which highlights for us ways in which we've, we've gone astray. It's a weapon that we use to fight. And I, I don't want you to pursue a Christian walk without these resources at your disposal. Lastly, and, and I'll be brief. How much time we got? Okay. Mature leaders, they finish well. Mature leaders finish well. This is going to be rapid fire here. Let's read 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. As I've shared over the past several weeks, Paul was writing this letter from prison in Rome, and he knew that his, his execution could happen at any moment. This is, this is his last recorded writing. And I, I love how he closes. He says, I have finished the race. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. You, you know, boxing well, if you're a sports fan, you know this, boxing well for eight rounds doesn't really matter if it's a 10-round fight. You know, if you box really well for eight rounds and then in round nine, you know, your legs are jelly and you, you don't have any juice left, you know, you're going to get knocked out. doesn't matter if you run three laps incredibly, incredibly quickly. If it's a four-lap race, if it's a mile race, if you blow a hammy, if you run out of gas, the first laps, they just don't matter. And, you know, if you're a Michigan fan and you're here... You know this. You know that three quarters of good football. Yeah. Doesn't produce a win, and you still end up two and 14 against the Buckeyes. Yeah. Let me get back to my notes here. You know, we're called to be people who. who Finish well, guys, who run hard through the finish line. Bobby Clinton was a professor at Fuller Seminary and wrote an amazing book called The Making of a Leader. And he did a thorough analysis of, of leaders in the Bible and leaders throughout church history. And, and through his analysis, he determined that only one out of every four leaders in the Bible and throughout church history finished well. One out of four. That's sobering sobering statistic. You know, and these, these were men and women who, who made significant contributions to the church. That's why they're remembered. Men and women in the Bible, men and women throughout church history. One out of four kept their faith. One out of four who, who persevered. One out of four who kept their integrity. I'll never forget shortly after my first internship with another church. I had only been Following Jesus for a couple years, there was a pastor on staff in another church that I was attending that had a moral failure. He had an affair, blew up his life, had to leave the ministry. He was in his late 50s. He had helped plant a couple churches. He had led so many people to the Lord. He had, he had ministered in power and seen the Holy Spirit show up. And I, I just remember being dumbfounded as this you know, relatively new believer, because I just assumed in the back of my mind that men and women who were extremely fruitful and faithful, that they just received a pass from the Lord, that he, he would just commit to protecting them from, you know, ending up in, in a ditch. 
But, but the tragic reality, guys, is that when we push or run past, rather, the warning signs of the Lord, when we run past the stop signs, the Lord, he will allow us to, to run ourselves into a ditch. Doesn't matter how fast you ran the first three laps, you got to run, you got to run the race well. I'm really short on time, and so I'm, I'm going to I'm going to forego my last point, but let me just close with this. Let me suggest one way that we're called as, as leaders to finish well. Mature leaders, they finish well by following God late in life. This will be my last point. You know, one of our prevailing beliefs in our culture is that all of us are essentially working towards our retirement. It's a, a belief that's so prevailing in our culture that we, we just... Don't even think about it, of course. That, that's true. That all of us are, are just working towards our retirement. We're putting in that work. We're saving up our money so that we can get to that spot where 30 years in, 35 years in, 40 years in, we, we get to pursue whatever we want to do. That we get to sleep in and we get to pursue our own hobbies. That we get to eat well. That we get to travel. And, you know, the common refrain that you often hear is, I've paid my dues. I've paid my dues. I've put in my 30 years. i put in my 35 years. I invested. I saved. I served. And now, this is me time. Now this is my time to do whatever I want. I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to eat well. I'm going to enjoy myself for these next 10, 20, however many years I got. But you know, this isn't the Christian perspective at all. Do you know that? Do you know this one? You know, the Christian perspective says this. He paid all my dues on the cross. He paid all my dues. And so therefore, it isn't up to, to me to determine how I'm going to, to live this last decade or two decades or three decades. I, I want to serve. I want to make myself available to my local church. I want to make myself available to my family. I want to share my faith. I want to pray. Friend, the right question to ask isn't, what do I want to do now that I'm retired? The right question to ask is, God, what do you want to do now that I'm retired? Mature leaders, they, they finish well by following God late in life. And I promise, one minute, here we go. Secondly, mature leaders, they finish well by honoring God in their tr transitions. You know, in this life, we're seemingly always on, on the verge of one transition or another. Some of you are in school right now, and you are just so done. You are just so ready to be done. You're almost there. You're about to graduate this spring or this summer, and you're just so close. Some of you right now are living at home. You've moved back in with your parents to kind of get rid of some debt or save up for that car, and you are so close to moving out. You know, others of you right now, you're in a job that you just absolutely hate. You know, your, your work environment is toxic. You know, maybe you've had way too much thrown on your plate. The demands of your job are just incredibly taxing. Maybe your boss is, is just absolute terror to work for. and not, So now you are applying for, for several jobs. You have some encouraging prospects, and you just know, just got to put my head down and just make it for a few more weeks, a few more months. I get out of this job. Some of you are single moms right now, and you've enjoyed being at home, but your, your youngest is about to hit kindergarten in the fall, and so you're, you're thinking about that time when, you know, part of you is saying, I'm going to get, 
I'm going to get my life back, right? What am I going to do with myself? You're, you're looking forward to that time where, where your kids will be in school. And, and listen, if, if you are on the verge of transition, you need to ask yourself, how can I finish this transition well? How, how can I end well? How can I honor God in these remaining weeks or months? I don't want to be here. Don't want to be here. Don't want to have this job anymore. Don't want to still be living at home with my parents. Don't, don't want to still be at home, you know, with, with my kids. I, I don't want to, to still be in school. But as long as I'm here, God, as long as this is my plight in life, I want to honor you, God. I want to avoid cynicism and slander of others. I want to avoid gossip. I, I want to avoid being ungrateful. God, help me to honor you in these last few months, in these last few years, in these last few days. You know, mature leaders, they, they serve well for the long haul and they honor God in their transitions. Mature leaders, they finish well by following God late in life and mature leaders, they finish well by honoring God in their transitions. Why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? I'm going to invite the, the worship team up, and I, I am way over, and so we're, we're not going to do our typical ministry time here, but here, here's what I want to do. If you could just, if you feel comfortable, if you could just put out your hands, I'm just going to pray just a closing bre- blessing on us. And then in just a moment, when I'm done praying, you will be released. Those of you who have kiddos, please go, uh, go pick those up so Heather doesn't attack me in the parking lot, and and uh, and if you if you need to go, please please you are free dismissed to go. But for those who want to stay, we're gonna we're gonna sing one last worship song after this. Yeah. But let me let me first just pray a closing blessing. God, we thank you that you're ple- you're present with us. We thank you that you're here. And God, we we want to be a, a, a people. We want to be a church who who has a real love for your word. We want to be a church that values your word, not not because it's what saves us, but because it is your word that gives life. It is your word in which we meet you. We have the opportunity to, to connect with the God of the universe through this word. And so would you give us as a community just a fresh love and a hunger for your word? And I pray right now for those who, for whatever reason, are, are disconnected from the Bible right now or may, maybe never waded in at all, that, that even now in their own hearts, God, you would help them to make commitments to you to begin pursuing you through the Word. That right now, I encourage you in your heart, just make a commitment to the Lord. Again, not because you're trying to impress Him or earn anything, but because you want to meet Him. And so right now, I just encourage you, in your own heart, in your, in your mind, would you make that commitment to the Lord? I, I want to read your, your book. I, I don't want to be, you know, one of the 89% that just don't read through the Bible. I want to have a weapon. I want to have a mirror. I want to have a map. And God, would you help us to be people who finish well? Would you help us to finish the transitions that we're walking through well in a way that honors you and honors others? And would you help us to finish our lives well, God? Whether that's 40, 50, 60, 70, however many years you want to give us. 
God, I pray blessing on those who are present. God, I thank you for this community. I thank you for this church. Thank you personally for calling me here, God. Would you fill them with your Holy Spirit?